Yeah. Happy Halloween, Bob. Yeah. Happy month of Halloween to you. Right. Happy Spooktober. Um, yeah. There we go. As it's, we like to call it. It's my favorite time of the year. It's the best time of the year. Yeah. So, okay. All right. I think uh, Screenagers, welcome into, into the Wasteland. We've got Bob Cram, the one and only one of my favorite guests um, to have on. He is an authority on the horror genre um, and therefore on the month of October. This is our first episode in the month of October, uh, but it's our second sort of spook, spooky related episode. Uh, we had Carrie last week sort of getting us up to speed for this, uh, this Halloween season and this October season. But Bob, what I wanted to ask you is when do you think it's appropriate to start getting into Halloween season, into spooky season, into spooktober? I have a pretty hot take about it, but I want to hear what your thoughts are first in terms of like when you can start well, getting into I mean, all that stuff. It's, it's my favorite genre and it's my favorite time of the year. So I... Depending on the year, I'll start as soon as April, halfway to <laughs> halfway to Halloween. <laughs> you know? Sometimes, especially if like Shutter has a as has a halfway to Halloween special, I'll be like, yeah, screw it, I'll I'll just start watching at that point in time. But if otherwise, I guess I would say September first okay. is is really when I the minute a a, a leaf starts falling off the tree. Or a pumpkin spice shows up in the stores. <laughs> You're you know. ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Not enough time think, to watch. I think that's kind of in line with what I was thinking. I, in the past, have proposed that as early as mid-October, not, not mid-October, mid-August, you can start you know, gearing up for it. And I think really any time after Labor Day you can be fully in spooky season. Yeah. But on the on the other end of that, I think that it shouldn't end on Halloween. I think those couple of weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, there should be some wind down time for spooky season. I think you should be allowed I think we should still be allowed to celebrate horror movies and, you know, pumpkin spice everything in those first two or so weeks of, of November uh, just because there aren't a lot of good Christmas movies and there are so many good horror movies that we should really try to give ourselves as much time as possible with, with this specific genre. No. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And, and that that's really a spooky time of the year too. All the leaves are gone. The nights are Mm -hmm. longer. And uh, yeah, like you said, there's not a lot to look forward to no matter how much, the stores want you to start singing Christmas carols on November 1st. Uh, I totally agree. It's a, it's still a creepy time of year and, and absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that this year. So how do you usually celebrate your Halloween, your October season in general? What does that all look like in, in the cram household? Well, for for like a decade, I I would do uh, something called 
the 31, 31 days, 31 horror movies. And I would watch a horror movie every day and do a review of that horror movie every day. So Dang. that was the whole month of October for me. Last couple of years, I've, I've backed off on, on doing that because it's, it's a, a significant time sink uh, to do that between working and, and mm-hmm. doing the write-ups and watching new movies. And it was always, I always just picked whatever I was in the mood for that day mm-hmm. rather than having a set list. So it was always, you know, you, you, sometimes you would yeah. end up with, with good stuff and sometimes you would end up with horrible crappy stuff that you had to kind of <laughs> sit through and yeah. Oasis of the zombies comes to mind, but yeah, uh, that's, and then uh, since we, since we bought a house, we lived in an apartment for many, many years and we had no, no trick or treaters and we live in a house on the edge of a, uh, of a neighborhood. So now we get trick or treaters and that's a huge part of our, uh, our evening. We watch horror movies, a couple of specific horror movies that we watch every year. And then we wait for the kids with the costumes to show up. What do you guys watch every year? Uh, we always watch for some reason. I don't even know when we started doing this, but we watch the Vincent price remake of house of wax. Love so it. that's, that's our big one. And you know, if it's a, if it's a weekend day, we'll just mm-hmm. watch horror movies all day, classics and, and new stuff. Anything that's not too gory for, mm-hmm. for my wife. Um, although she'll, I mean, she digs John Carpenter's the things, one of her favorite films. So oh, as sweet. long as the story's there, she'll, she'll handle the gore. Yeah. Okay. John Carpenter's the thing coming up in a few weeks on the Canon. Uh, nice. Great movie. I have not seen that Vincent Price uh, remake of House of Wax, but I should probably get on it. You know, I say remake. It's, it's, there is no, it's a remake of a previous film called Murder at the Wax Museum. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, and of course it was made, remade in the 2000s with, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, so we'll get into remakes because I feel like that's something that's pretty specific to, this genre and we talked about it last week with Carrie and obviously Suspiria has a remake. So we will, we will get back to to that part of the discussion. Do you guys do decorations on Halloween? Like are there, are you doing a specific type of, uh, are you like scaring the kids at all when they come to trick or treat or are you, are you guys the nice house that, you know, just lets people take a handful of candy. We're, we're, kind of the nice house you know we we have like uh at least one of the kids that comes ha- is on the uh autism spectrum and so we don't want to mm-hmm. spookify them too much the inside of the house looks like a spirit store just vomited <laughs> all over the place you know <laughs> and we for some reason have been collecting uh jack-o'-lanterns like ceramic mm-hmm. and whatever jack-o'-lanterns for for years and years so we have like a whole huge display of lit up pumpkins in the window and that sort of thing and skeletons all over the place. And yeah, but we don't do the outside too much just mm-hmm. to, uh, just to make sure that the, that, uh, kids aren't too spookified. It's still kid friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And do I try to make ever- sure, sorry, go ahead. No, please. We, we try and make sure cause the TV's like, you can see the TV from the, the bay window in the front. So mm-hmm. during the, the, between like five and eight, we try and make sure that it's, you know, like 
Frankenstein or the mummy or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, spookies or something that's, that's more kid friendly on the TV. I don't want them, you know, you don't want to traumatize any kids. Yeah. I don't want Suspiria on, (laughs) on when the kids show up for some reason. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. So you guys are definitely a welcoming house for kids to show up to on, on Halloween day, which is, that's great. I mean, as someone who loves the season, loves the genre that seems pretty in line with uh with how i understand you as a person just you love <laughs> horror movies but you're not you're not here to scare anyone you're you're still a good guy you want to make sure the kids have fun um, yeah that's what it's all about what about you guys do you do you do anything special for so halloween? i live in new york city so halloween day of is pretty tough i got no trick-or-treaters but i grew up in the suburbs uh, so like trick or treating was always a big part of my childhood and I always loved it. So whenever I do have time to do it on Halloween day, I like to go up to my parents' house and I'll either help them give out candy or, you know, in some recent years I have younger nieces, so I'll take them trick or treating in the neighborhood, which is kind of fun for me because I get to take them around, you know, the same houses that I used to go to as a kid to get candy from. So it's like a nice little trip trip down memory lane. I feel like Halloween needs to like I need to be in the suburbs for it. It doesn't feel right in the city. I know in New York they do there's the big parade that's done downtown, but I've never gone to that. That doesn't feel like real Halloween to me. I need to be in the suburbs with, you know, leaves falling and like kind of an eerie vibe around every corner. Uh um, right. Yeah. Otherwise it, it doesn't feel totally right to me. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome though. That's, that's very cool of you to take your, your nephew and niece and go out yeah. into the neighborhood. That's pretty awesome. It's, it's it, a ton of fun. All right. Last Halloween related question before we get into Suspiria, because I'm sure as our screen age wasteland resident horror movie expert, you have just so much to say about this movie, but you mentioned pumpkin spice stuff before. Are you pro pumpkin spice things? Are you anti the explosion of pumpkin spice flavored everything? How do you feel about all of that stuff? Yeah, it's I'm I am always happy to see it when it shows up because because <laughs> it it means that you know Halloween stuff is coming, and I do like the the flavor of pumpkin spice stuff. So I mean, I have creamer in my pumpkin spice coffee and. I like nice. a good pumpkin pie and stuff, but it, it does feel like, you know, there's a frenzy <laughs> of it yeah. uh, during this time. And I'm like, uh, my, my wife, uh, earlier, uh, in August, actually, we were giving each other gifts for our anniversary. And she's like, you're, you're so lucky because I came like this close to getting you a book that I saw in the bookstore that said Sp- pumpkin spice and Jesus Christ. <laughs> And I was like, and that's, that's when it went too far. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm like, thank you for not getting that book, but I, I kind of want to go find it now just to see what yeah, sort of see, terribleness. Yeah. What's going on there? Why are they, yeah. what do those two things have to do with each other? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. But that's, it's gotten, it's gotten to be too much. Yeah. Personal opinion anyway. I, I'm a big fan of, of pumpkin spice, everything. I, it does feel like it's probably gotten too much, but 
I I'm a I'm still a sucker for a pumpkin spice latte. Yeah. From Starbucks, you know, I'll I'll still get a, a few every every fall season, you know, pumpkin spice candles. Oh, that you know, that's yeah. that's where I'm at with with the pumpkin spice stuff. Uh yeah. I enjoy it. My girlfriend's mom makes uh pumpkin scones that are delicious. Ooh. Oh, that yeah. does sound good. Yeah, you know, there's there's some places for it. A good pumpkin loaf could be pretty good. Yep. But cert- maybe like don't infuse cocktails with pumpkin spices. Right. I think that's w- like where we can start drawing the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want it in like savory dishes. Yeah. I don't want like a pumpkin spice orange chicken meal. No. <laughs> no. You know, it's, it's going too far. I mean, we have a local farm, uh, apple orchard actually, that does the best mm-hmm. pumpkin donuts. Oh, that's the, that's like the epitome to me of the uh, pumpkin coffee and, and a pumpkin donut. That's my, my best day in the fall. I'm a big fan of the, uh, apple cider donuts. Oh yeah. Those are good. Those are so good. Yeah. Oh, you go apple picking, you get a half dozen of those. You get a warm apple cider. Oh man. Just a lovely day. Lovely. It's so good. It's the best time of year. It's yeah. un- undoubtedly we are currently in the best time of year. I don't know how things are up by you weather-wise, but here in the greater New York area, the weather has decided to cooperate and be seasonally appropriate, which has been a nice refresher uh, nice. from things that we've seen the last couple of years where like October hits and it's 80 degrees outside. Oh, um <laughs> You know, thankfully this year it's been more in the seventies, the sixties. Uh, it's flannel season, it's sweater season. It's a lovely time to be to be alive. It's horror season. It's Italian horror season. It's Suspiria season. Uh, <laughs> we're here. It's Canon season. Uh, yes. It's it's very exciting, Bob. If you're ready, I think we can start getting into our Suspiria talk. And let's do this. Let's, as they say, let's party. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. Making yeah, use so of the Suspiria. soundboard. We got to make use of the soundboard. Yeah. So Suspiria, uh, 1977 Italian horror classic. I think this is actually, it's not our only Italian movie in the canon because earlier this season, we spoke about the good, the bad and the ugly, which Right. You, know, you you forget, but that's technically an Italian film. So yeah. our yeah, second yeah. our second Italian movie in the canon, probably our only Italian horror movie. So in order to sort of kick the conversation off and get into things with Suspiria, I was wondering, Bob, if you as again, as our resident horror expert, um well, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I keep saying this. I think you should you should list your your credentials. I think you should <laughs> tell the people why I keep referring to you as Screen Age Wasteland's resident horror expert. Oh man, that's I think that's it's it's fallen to me by default as the sort of the guy who who's been writing reviews and and doing the horror thing for them for so long. But I've just been watching and writing about horror movies for you know well over a decade now. And uh, for various sites, culminating with with of course the best site, uh, Screen Age Wasteland. 
I, I have slowed down the last year or so. I'm hoping to get back into doing it, but I always, I have been doing uh, a regular Friday feature called fear flashback where I would review older or obscure uh, horror movies. Um, I've written a book, a very short book of uh, horror movie reviews. And uh, other than that, just like uh, anybody that loves horror movies, I just love talking about them. So that's pretty much my bona fides as far as it comes to being a, a quote expert. I'm not, I don't think I'm an expert, but I, I do love talking about them. So I, I think that qualifies you as an expert and we will at the end of the episode and in the episode details, we'll, um, we'll link uh, where you can buy Bob's book on horror movies for anyone who's interested in, in checking that out. I have not yet read it, but I'm sure it's wonderful. So there you go. Those are Bob's Bob's bona fides, bona fides, as they say. Fides, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, in the in the genre. So with all that, I think the first thing that it would be important for us to understand when you know when talking about and getting into Suspiria would just be sort of, you know, if you could give us like a really basic intro to Italian horror 101 who this uh, Dario Argento guy is sort of what his, what his story is and like where Suspiria then fits into and, and comes into play with all that. Okay. And you'll stop me if I ramble on a little bit too much. Oh yeah, absolutely. With this. I mean, so, no, why would I say that? Yeah. <laughs> ramble all you want. Ramble right. on. Oh, that's oh, all right. Remember That's you said what Zeppelin this. would say. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, Italian horror probably goes back to the uh, Giallo films, which were uh, a type of uh, elevated crime thriller that uh, started in the probably in the 1950s. Um, the, they're called Giallo, which means yellow in Italian because they were um, sort of based on a series of crime paperback novels that had come out in, in Italy that uh, were all had yellow covers. So a, a lot of those earlier uh, films were, were not, you know, in the same vein as this, they were more crime related, but then uh, mm-hmm. a man named Mario Bava uh, started making giallos and he interjected a lot of the elements that we have come to associate with Dario Geno and Gallo films in, in general, where you have heightened use of color, um, stylish and highly orchestrated murder scenes, uh, lots of uses of uh, the killer's hands with blades in them. So those were the sorts of films that, that uh, Italy had going into the late 60s and early 70s. And that was the sort of context that uh, Dario Argento was making movies in. The big films in, in Italy, of course, in the, in the 1960s really were the, the spaghetti westerns. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually got a start uh, working for Sergio Leone and doing screenwriting uh, for for some of his films. So this actually ties into what nice. you were talking about before. And it, he actually did the screenplay for, I think, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. And then he his father was a big 
movie producer. So he actually got a chance to uh, direct his first film, uh, which was the uh, bird with the crystal plumage. And I think it was 1970 and he took the, the settings and the details of the gallo and kind of turned it up to 10. Uh, mm-hmm. And after the bird with the crystal plumage came out, that was pretty much it for Italian uh, film in the 1970s. That was what everybody wanted to see and what everybody wanted to make. He actually re- reinvented and reinvigorated that, that genre. Nice. So, and he rapidly made two other films after that, all with uh, animal titles. So they're, they're sometimes referred to as his animal trilogy, although there's no connection between the, the films he did. Bird with a Crystal Plumage, Cat and Nine Tales, and uh, Four Flies on Gray Velvet. And I, I think I started to talk over you there because I'm just rambling. No, on. no. Please keep going. All right. Uh, so Ram- Ramble on. I should have that on the soundboard, honestly. <laughs> ramble <laughs> on. Uh, and so after he'd done these, these uh, three Gala movies and done, been very successful doing them, he decided he didn't want to do those anymore. He wanted to kind of broaden his, his horizon. So his fourth film was actually a, a period comedy drama called uh, hmm. Four Nights in Milan or Four Days of Milan, something like that. And it, it flopped. And I've seen bits of it, and it it turns out that comedy is really not his forte. <laughs> so, so unfortunately for him, but fortunately for us, he he returned to doing uh, Giallo movies with Deep Red, which is probably one of the uh, most well known and and arguably the best Giallo film uh, ever made. And he kind of like said, "All right, that's it. I've done." everything I can do with Giallos. That's, that's my statement. Now I'm going to start making horror movies. And, and that was Suspiria was his very next film. Sweet. Yeah. There we have it. Thank you for that. Um, a little bit more detail and a little bit less detail than you need all at the same. No, that that was, that was perfect. I think that that definitely gives a good background for just for this movie and like where it came from and sort of what was happening in Italian cinema when it was when it sort of came to be I think you know one of the interesting things that we can do here at the canon is contextualize these movies that are in the canon especially movies that are you know from outside of the the Hollywood system uh especially movies that are like outside of the Hollywood system from you know more than 30 or 40 years ago I think it is important to give that sort of context so that we understand like why it connected with people so much and why it still continues to, to connect with people. So I, th- I think that was all super duper helpful. Oh, good. So that's sort of background, Italian horror, Dario and Suspiria. When did you first see this movie? You know, it's weird because I have really clear memories of a lot of my favorite films. See- seeing Bride of Frankenstein, I can tell you, you know, that it was a rainy day. Uh, mm-hmm. at my grandmother's house on cable. Uh, and I can tell you that I watched uh, The Thing for the first time on a tiny little black and white television set in a uh, the power station of a hydroelectric plant that my uh, uncle worked at. But I can't tell you exactly when I saw Suspiria because 
I had uh, I, I had watched a bunch of Dario Argento films in my teen years, and then my friend gave me a copy of Suspiria, and I, when I put it in, I was like, "Oh, this is fantastic!" And it also is really familiar. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had seen it and then forgotten that I had seen it. Which you've seen it? Does it seem likely that you would forget? No, this this isn't a movie that you would really forget about. <laughs> Yeah, seen or experienced. Yeah, but I had such deja vu through the entire thing that I was like, okay, so I must have seen it, but I I could not tell you exactly when I had seen it prior to the late 1990s. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but so you watched it then, and you were like, I remember this movie. I know this movie, but I'm also watching it for the first time. But either way, I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it was kind of like one of those things where it's like, how did I miss, you know, I've, I've seen most of Argento's films from, from bird with the crystal plumage to opera at that point. And I'm like, how do mm-hmm. I miss this one? Yeah. Because most other people, it's like, they haven't seen any Dario Argento movies, but they have seen Suspiria and you, <laughs> you yeah. were operating from the other end of that spectrum, Yeah, <laughs> but you did watch it. You did love it. For I don't know if I if I already mentioned this. I don't know if this was Mike's on or Mike's off, but I had not seen this movie. It had been on my watch list for a while. So sort of similar to the last movie that we had you on to talk about on the canon uh, in Gross Point Blank, right? A movie that that I'm new to, which is always kind of tricky, especially for the show because you know we're supposed to talk about what makes it so great. So what if I had watched and hated it? Luckily. I watched it and I was like, yeah, this is rad, but kind of surprising that, you know, I hadn't seen this movie up until now as someone who considers himself a fan of cinema, but I thought it was great. I think we should talk a little bit about what makes it so great. I sort of, in my notes, I describe this movie as just extended bad vibes throughout (laughs) That's kind of just yeah, the whole deal. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's the plots like really thin, which is great. I am always here for let's de-emphasize plot and let's really emphasize whatever sort of vibes or mood you're going for. And there's a lot of that here. So that was kind of like my big takeaway from the movie. But I, I am wondering what are some of your big takeaways and what are some of the things that like stand out to you that make this movie so great? Oh wow. Yeah, it's I I love that that it's it's bad vibes because it's definitely a heavy vibe in Suspiria, but it's all mm-hmm. yeah, it's all creepy. The first time that I actually consciously uh watched the movie, I remember the, like the very first scene in the airport. You know, she's just walking mm-hmm. through and the and yeah. the music only shows up when the door opens. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then she gets to the door and the door slides open and there's a very intense sound effect of the pneumatic thing. And I was like, this dude just made a door opening into a creepy (laughs) thing. I'm in for a ride here. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's like 30 seconds into the movie. Yeah. And yeah, immediately you're just like, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be kind of different. Like, why is that? Why is there so much emphasis on that door? What's yeah. that door doing? 
Yep. And you're kind of on edge about everything that's <laughs> yeah. happening through, and like everything that pops up throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. It sets an, ele- I think it sets an elevated sort of feeling for the, everything that happens after that, you know, every mm-hmm. you're everything's already ratcheted up a little bit. And, you know, for me, it, I don't even know if, if I realized this at first or if it's something that's come to me over time, but it was like, Oh, okay. It starts with a, with a little tiny voiceover that's like, you know, Susie Banyan took a, took a plane to Germany at this point in time and arrived at 1040 PM local time. And that's like a introduction to, uh, to, to like a fairy tale. And then she like literally arrives in the, you know, on a dark and stormy night mm-hmm. and everything yeah. with the colors, with the music, even, even with things like, the doors are constructed so that the uh, in in the dance academy are constructed so that the handles are like almost at your head height. So like you you oh. feel like you're smaller than where the characters are smaller in that space, and so and that all contributes to me to that feeling of unreality, that feeling of a of a dark fantasy, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I enjoy the most about it. You're absolutely right. The plot is like the most basic. Like if you if you described it, it's just uh, a girl goes to a dance school in Germany and discovers that it's being run by a cabal of witches. She defeats them. Period. <laughs> yeah. You know that's that's the basics of it. But somehow that mm. structure is just enough to hang all of this, you know, hallucinatory color and sound and acting on and mm-hmm. it, and it all holds together really well so yeah it is i saw hallucinatory in in some of the the reading that i that i did about this movie but it also like it reads like a bad dream like a nightmare yeah. in in ways that i think a lot of movies do sort of aspire to that sort of feeling but then because there is a lot of focus on things like plot and not a lot of focus on things like mood or detail, like making the door handles at everyone's head height, you know, things like that, that like throw you off enough to, to feel like this is a dream world, but also real enough to frighten you that it like could be happening to you in your real world. That's a really hard thing to sort of balance. And this movie does that in a really stunning way, honestly. Yeah, yeah I um, agree. Let's talk about the color, the use of colors in this movie, because oh I think God, that's like yeah. the one big thing that, that stands out. What, what do you, what are your big takeaways on, on how color is used and like what effect that, that has on just, you know, everything else that's going on in the movie? Well, it's it, one of the things that gets me every time is that, you know, the, the cinematographer on this, uh, Luciano Tovoli, had come to our, Argento came to him to do this. He already had an idea for the, the kinds of colors that he wanted to do. And, and he, he came to Tovoli, who had at that point had done stuff for uh, Michelangelo Antonioni that was almost entirely like natural lighting, like that was his big mm-hmm. thing. So somehow Argento not only saw in Tovoli this desire to experiment with color, but also allowed him enough free reign 
to, to actually accomplish some of these things. So I'm always, you know, fascinated that, you know, it's, it's somebody who is so realistic came and made this, mm-hmm. you know, phantasmagoria of, of color. <laughs> and I re- remember reading stuff about how he was like experimenting all the time and like, just like throwing, you know, gels and cloth, and all kinds of things on these lights, trying to get the color that he wanted. Mm-hmm. I think what, I think the quote that he said, some of the, some of the fear on the actor's faces may be because I was putting cloth on these huge hot lights and they were afraid it was going to catch on fire. <laughs> but he, he even like invented a, a new machine for the scene in the, uh, the, the taxi where when she's driving uh, to the, to the dance studio at the beginning, Mm-hmm. Uh, where he had two rotating tubes of of colored lights that he would just have them both rotating at the same time, so that all of these changes of color would kind of stream across her face. And uh, how they managed to get this and mm-hmm. have it all work and not just be a a mess is uh, part of why it's such a a an impressive experience. It's insane that it that it works the way that it does with like the colors popping the way that they do. I was sort of thinking about how the use of color and it's like a spread like red is the primary color that's used, but also like oh, yeah. to, you know, a certain extent, the other primary colors are also used. And it 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 sort of like I think they used like one of the last Technicolor, um, is it like printers or I don't know. Yeah, it was it was the printer. Yeah, like one of the last versions of a certain type of Technicolor printer for this movie. And you like think about horror movies, and you think about you also just think about at least American movies, like where they were in the seventies and their relationship to color. And you're like horror movies; they're not supposed to be bright and colorful, and you know, bursting with uh with reds and blues and greens and yellows and all this kind of stuff like they're supposed to be kind of muted and uh and shadowy because that's what's scary not not bright red and bright blue smacking you in the face like that's not scary that's singing in the rain and (laughs) you watch this (laughs) and it it is bright and smacking you in the face but it's also freaking terrifying and you're just like how does that how does that work those two things don't feel like they should exist within the same movie and yet they do. Yeah. Yeah. And a part of that, the reason that it works is because he approaches that. I mean, you've got the, the sort of otherworldliness with the color and and the music, which we'll probably talk about at some point, but, but then you go and you have, you know, that first death in, in the movie is so over the top Mm-hmm. and operatic and it's staged like it's you know it's almost it all it almost feels staged and yet it's mm-hmm. also so grisly you have a part of it of that death includes getting to see the woman's heart in her chest still beating while a knife plunges into it Insane. you know and she stabbed like six times and still they he wraps a cord around her neck and then drops her through a skylight. It's Insane. just so crazy. Yeah. 
like, and, and that's, you know, you're, it's one sort of film up to that point. And then he's like, oh yeah. And we're also just going to smack you in the face with this too. Yeah. <laughs> it's this movie is a lot of getting smacked in the face. Mm. I remember before I watched it, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a big fan of this movie and has tried to get me to watch it many times in the past. And just sidebar here, I am simultaneously a big fan of horror movies and have a great appreciation for them, but I am also the biggest scaredy cat in the world. <laughs> and, and <laughs> you're, the, you're the cheap horror date. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> The ideal date for a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, I love them, but I'm simultaneously terrified. So I was talking to this friend and I was like, I- I'm going to watch this period for, uh, for the canon. You know, should I, should I be scared? I'm planning on watching it first thing in the morning. So I don't have trouble sleeping at night. And he was like, you know, you don't have to worry about that stuff too much. It is very disturbing, but it's not like, you know, scary images that, that will stick with you. Um, it's just sort of like, like you said, these like big operatic sort of not even scares, but these just big operatic sort of disturbing moments that happen throughout the movie. I was able to sleep the night that I watched it in case anyone is wondering, Bob, my girlfriend is out of town right now. So like, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. That's why, that's why I really needed to watch it in the morning because I, I I didn't have her to be like, you know, Hey, protect me. If anything, uh, those, goes thump in the night yeah um but we made it through i wasn't too scared but i again i i do love it all this rambling is to say that first scene is insane but there are so many outrageous just like scenes and kills in this movie it it really does feel like a movie where the plot is just there to one build vibe and to do these insane set pieces of kills so i was wondering if you had a I don't want to say a favorite one, but one that maybe stood out in particular to you. Well, yeah, there, there's one in particular that actually disturbed me the first time that I saw it. And and it may be just because the earlier versions of, uh, you know, seeing this movie, I may have seen it on VHS first or it might've been DVD, but Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't as detailed. You know, I have a 4k version of it now and the details Mm. are, or quite a bit. And the color is, if you get a chance to see it on in HD, it's absolutely the best way to see it. If you haven't seen it that way before, but, uh, the, the scene on the, the characters, uh, no, Sarah, the, 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 uh, front the, the woman that, uh, that Jessica Harper's character, Susie Banyan befriends her mm-hmm. in, in the next room over. Anyway, She's she's got all these notes about uh, about uh, what's been going on from her friend Pat Tingle, the person who's killed in the first scene. But Susie's being drugged and can't help her with this because she discovers that they've been stolen. So she gets chased through the school into the attic, and mm-hmm. and you know it's because it's a kill sequence. It's extended. She's she's chased quite a bit. She's slashed at. She's trapped in a room that she has to try and escape. And I'm and I'm watching it, and it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of your typical Gallo sort of killer threatening the 
the the victim sort of thing. And she climbs up into a, a window and then drops into another room and she drops for no reason into a room full of razor wire. It, you know, I'm like, and yeah. it's just wire. It's just wire. Looking at it now, it's just loops and spools of wire. But when I first saw it, I, I'm telling you, I saw razor wire. And that whole sequence of her struggling through that room, yeah. trying to get out, you know, sliced and bleeding and screaming. And, and yeah, the, that was the thing that stuck with me after, after that first watch. I was like, one, why is there a room full of razor wire in this school? That's and not important. Two, well, yeah, not important. Not important. And then two, just that was a horrifying yeah, so that that is the scene that that really stuck out to me the, upon the first the first viewing. That that one definitely that room full of wire definitely messed yeah. me up. It's it's intense and it feels like it yeah, it just lingers on her struggling for for just a beat too long, yeah. which makes it that much more unsettling. For some reason for me the the scene of the blind man I'm forgetting the character's name, but the scene of him with his dog in the middle of that courtyard yeah, and Daniel. the dog then yeah, gets, yeah, yeah. gets possessed and, and attacks him. I, I think that was a moment where I was like, this movie is just bad vibes. That's all that this <laughs> movie wants to do. It just wants to give me the worst vibes ever. Every third moment you're like, I got a bad feeling about this, yes. you know? And yep. as soon as he starts walking out into that, into that square, you're just like, at least I was thinking by my to myself, you know, nothing good will come of this. This is <laughs> yep. this, only something terrible is going to happen. What that terrible thing is, I don't know, but I know I'm not going to like it, but I will simultaneously love it because it will be well shot and edited. And, you know, the score will be thumping the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, I love that scene. And that's one of the few scenes that it's almost black and white. Yeah. You know? It's, but it's even one of that, few. it's like, it's like an aggressive black and an aggressive white. You know, it's not just. I don't know. It it still pops the same way that. Oh yeah. That the the other colors do. Yep, and there's there's great use of light in that. There's a there's a moment where like they're they're shooting one side of the the plaza in one of the the big old impressive buildings. And you see shadows just kind of flow across it. And to me, that's always looked like witches on brooms oh. kind of flying flying by. Like you're just seeing the shadows of them on the. Yeah. I love that. That's a really good scene. Interesting. I did not pick up on that. Witches, man. They're witches. They're everywhere. <laughs> we'll 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 get we'll get back to witches. Okay. Let's talk about the score. I feel like you're a big right. score guy. This score is rad. It kicks ass. It's wild. It's out there. What do you have for us on this? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I, I have, I have like three different goblin soundtracks. So I, (laughs) I really do enjoy this band. Um, they, they had done the soundtrack for, uh, deep red. And that was like, like whoever was supposed to do it kind of backed out. And I, and I, I wish I could remember who was supposed to do it now. Enrico Morricone, actually, I think, was supposed to do it. Oh, because right. he had done the like the the first three films, 
But okay. he, for whatever reason, he couldn't do it. And it was like 10 days before the film was supposed to be released. So he, mm-hmm. he found this, this group, the goblins was what they were called at the time. And they managed to do an entire soundtrack in 10 days for him. So he was really impressed with that, wanted them on this, on his new film. And they actually, he and they worked on music ahead of the film. Mm-hmm. So that they had rough cuts of all of the pieces of music that he wanted for each scene that he could play during mm-hmm. the scenes to to get people into the mood because they're going to dub everything anyway. Yeah, being similar Italian. to what to what Sergio Leone would do with uh, with Morricone. That's yeah. what they did for like all the good, the bad, and the ugly soundtrack. Like they he wrote the music for like the Duel and Ecstasy of Gold, and then they played that. There you go. On set, but yep. yeah, but sorry, keep, keep going about the, no, about no, the sport. I mean, that's, that's, you know, they, they've worked, to, they've worked together quite a, on quite a few films after that, but uh, yeah, it, it was definitely a part of the film before the film was, was made that it was, and I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that about, uh, about the good, bad and ugly. So that's very cool. Uh, I kind of like that idea. If you're going to use music in in such an important way, and it really does contribute to the to the bad vibes of the the movie, <laughs> having it there for the performers to kind of get that vibe is yeah. is a, a good idea and pretty impressive. So, also, if you want a band who's going to give you bad vibe music, a band named Goblin just seems like the perfect fit <laughs> yes yep yep so i think absolutely i think you were sort of talking about this which is another similarity to leon and the good the bad and the ugly and i think it was just sort of like the norm for italian films at the time but having everyone on set just read and act their lines of dialogue in whatever language they speak and then dubbing right. it over later yeah I didn't really notice that when I was watching, uh, but I think I ended up watching, I watched it on Tubi and I think it was like a standard deaf version of the movie. So I do wonder, you know, what sort of viewing experience it would have been if I were able to watch like a 4k uh, compression of, of this movie. Or I was also reading about there, there are like two different versions or like several different versions. There was, a 92 minute version, which was first shown in the U S and I think that one has the dubbing. Right. And then there was this, there was a 98 minute version that was uncovered like 30 years after and like a super rare 35 print that didn't have any dubbing. And it's like all in Italian or it's either, or it's all in whatever languages people were speaking on set. That is apparently like a bit more, enjoyable and it has like a few more crazy kills and stuff throughout i don't know do you know like anything more about the differences between those two versions of the movie no and i that's that's actually the first time i've heard that about suspiria there there are films like tenebrae was a was was heavily edited before release in the u.s and it's almost a completely different film they always uh, italian films at the time were always dubbed for international release so yeah, they always just let people speak in whatever language that they they wanted, knowing that it was going to be dubbed over again. 
I had not heard about a uh, about an extra bit in Suspiria. Yeah. I think the version that we now watch is the 98 minute version. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure I came across something that said like the scene with the bat wasn't in. Oh yes. Yeah. The original U S release of it. So I assume every time you've seen this, you have that weird scene with the, yeah. the bat that gets <laughs> <The> really <brutally. laughs> fake bat. That's brutally killed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And of course it was 20th century Fox that released this film and it came out the same year as star Wars. So I think that there was probably a, a, a certain level of squeamishness on the, the part of Fox executives like, Oh, we have this huge moneymaker and we're also putting out this film. Maybe we <laughs> want to tone it down a little <laughs> fewer bat deaths. Yeah, fewer bad deaths, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we can still, within the first 10 minutes of the movie, you know, drop a corpse from from the uh, from the skylight in yeah. the building. Yeah, but not animals. Come on. No, no animal cruelty. <laughs> no, no matter how fake the bat looks. Yeah. Holy crap. You can't let anyone think that we're that we're killing bats around here. <laughs> no. What a wild, wild, wild movie. Is there anything else that, that sort of stands out to you or is of interest to you about this movie or, you know, either surrounding the making of it or the movie itself? Right. This was, uh, this was the first film that was co-written with Dario Nicolaudi, who was um, Dario Argento's girlfriend for a long time. They actually, uh, Ari Argento is actually their daughter and she had to fight kind of to get her name on the, the credits for this movie. And, and, uh, to, and it was such a, a, a a difficult process that she actually didn't even bother with a a later film Inferno, which is related to this one actually, but, uh, three mothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole three mothers thing. Exactly where I was going with that. So, uh, she had kind of based it on stories, this story based on stories that her grandmother had told her about going to a music school when she was uh, a little girl. And then they had, when they had gotten together on the set of deep red after deep red was over, they, they did a big tour around Europe and they, they came through uh, a particularly spooky part of Europe. That's like near uh, the border of Sweden I can't remember the the actual locations now, but uh, Italy, it, it's yeah. Is it Italy, Switzerland, and Germany? Yeah, I think that's it. And it's like this this supposed spooky triangle uh, of of supernatural happenings, and uh, I think that was where the uh, Argento picked up the copy of Thomas De Quincey's like confessions of an opium eater was probably the, was the mm-hmm. first one, but he, he had written in a, a follow-up book of essays called Suspiria de Profundis, where he posited the idea that there are three dark witches, kind of like there are three fates and three graces. And they, they would have been, so the mother of size, which made her Suspiriorum, the mother of shadows made her, made her tenebrarum and 
made her like her the mother of tears. And so after this movie and after it came out, it did fairly well. I think for the longest time, it was his highest grossing film in the United States. They, they decided they were going to do a, a, a trilogy of these films, each featuring a different mother. So the three films have come out. Inferno was the second one that featured uh, Mater Tenebrarum. And then Mother of Tears came out in 2007, I think. Hmm. And uh, how are those, all how those other of, films stack up? Well, <laughs> not well is, is the bottom line. I mean, I actually really enjoy Inferno and I just watched Inferno again recently. I was in, in the mood for it. And there are touches in it that reflect back on Suspiria a little bit. Like the, the uh, cab driver in Inferno is the same actor in, mm. as the cab driver in Suspiria. And when things really start going wrong in Inferno, parts of the building actually have those doors with the, with the handles higher up. Oh, that's a nice mm. touch. Um, it kind of falls apart two thirds of the way through. Part of that mm-hmm. is because the actress had, had become very sick and was losing her hair and, and Argento was apparently convinced she was going to die before the film ended. And so he completely changed the last third of the film to oh, kind of write no. her out of it. And it's, it's oh, apparent God. when you watch it. And then mother of tears is, you know, I think the, the films that Argento made after opera in particular are kind of decreasing in levels of quality for whatever reason that is. I think it's harder to make films in Italy now or mm-hmm. films in particular. But yeah, uh, because of like audiences or yeah, audiences, it's kind of like the hegemony of Hollywood is, has kind of overrun the, the local movie industry to the point where at least, at least as far as horror movies go, nobody really wants to, to see them. So it's harder to get a budget and it's pretty obvious as I've watched, I've only watched mother of tears once. I've got to see it again. And it has moments, but they're far fewer than any of his other films. And it doesn't have that kind of artistic sensibility that mm-hmm. a lot of his early films did. So I yeah. think it was also like Dario Nicolodi's last film. So definitely not the same artistic expression that that's, you know, that we see in Suspiria. Right. <laughs> Which is an artistic expression that you don't really see in a lot of movies, especially not. Well, maybe not, especially not horror movies, but I, I do think that it is it is really special that this movie is as, you know, bold stylistically as it is, while also being as terrifying as it is. I, I feel like at least the direction of the boldness that that you're seeing in this movie isn't isn't a direction that you see in a lot of of horror movies, which is, I guess, why this movie sort of stands out within the genre and you know lives on in the canon right right we touched on it a little bit before but which is our essential to to this movie i think with every horror movie you know you sort of have to identify what the spooky entity is is it a slasher is it a you know a frankenstein monster is it a a vampire is it a werewolf or is it witches you know, those are sort of the, right. the big, the big categories that it fall that they can fall under. This one is obviously witches. What else do you do you have for us on the whole witch story? I thought the scene at is it 
is it the friend's funeral where she's talking to the guy who's just like, I'm an expert on witches <laughs> yeah, to offer some of exposition nowhere. here. What is, yeah. what is Udo Kier doing in this particular scene for some reason? Yeah. Uh, no, it's, he's, uh, he's, I think uh, Sarah says that he's her very good friend and ex- expert on witches and he's in town for a conference. So I think they're, they're at, so she goes to see him cause he's at this conference and that's where he introduces him her to uh, the, uh, the witches conference. Of course. Yeah. The witches conference. I think it's supernatural in Europe or so I can't even remember what the actual <laughs> thing is. I love that scene with him just sort of like, Hey, we just got to, we got to get to to an explanation of like yeah of, we're gonna have an info dump these, yeah of you know who these witches are and everything so you can go kill them and it totally doesn't I don't know to me it doesn't like take away from the movie at all I think it's a I think it's a really fun scene it's like a nice little break from the manic you know Technicolor yeah uh, fever dream that is the rest of the movie yeah it's like it's like the only scene with like natural lighting and sort of like regular just like character dialogue uh before we just like get back into the rest of the madness yeah yeah no i you're absolutely right it is like here's the real world now we're gonna go back into the nightmare yeah uh, yeah absolutely that's also one of the two scenes where you can actually see dario argento in like a reflection oh really yeah. Yeah, while he's talking, while she's talking to the professor there, I think in the the glass of the building behind him, you can see Argento filming. That's briefly. so funny. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> What's the other one? Uh, during the during the cab scene early on, he's he's sitting in the back seat filming the the cab driver, and so one of the flashes of light, you can kind of see him reflected in the glass partition. That's kind of seen this film a few times. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's like really spooky. Yeah. That, that particular one is, is, is fairly spooky yeah. in the context. So like a, as spooky as, uh, as yellow glowing eyes in your, in your window. Right. While you're yeah. Out. Yeah. Yep. Or your friend's eyes with nails pounded in them. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Or just a random hairy arm bursting through your window and smashing your face in. Supposedly that's Argento's arm as well, because he always does the hands and the arms of killers in his films. (laughs) That's a a hairy arm. That is a hairy arm. That is one hairy arm. I did see, I don't know how much time we want to spend here, but I did see some criticisms of this movie that it's like, the violence towards women is kind of troubling, but on the flip side of that, like it is a movie that is most, that is about like all women, like all of the male characters are pushed to the sidelines. So like the violence kind of has to be against women because they're the only ones who are making up the story. Did, I don't know if you caught any sort of sexist vibes from this or if you've ever like thought about that, or if you think it's maybe on the flip side of that, of like, is this a movie about uh, female empowerment? Can we ask that question as two guys on a podcast talking about a movie directed by another guy? Uh, right. Where do you sort of fall on <laughs> into, well, into you all know, that stuff? It's, I, I think 
absolutely Argento has ha- has, has made films that uh, seem misogynistic. He, in things that he've said, he said before about if you if you're going to to have somebody be killed in a movie, I think I'm paraphrasing him. I'd rather it be a beautiful one because that's what I would want to watch. Uh, so you know, those are not things that make you feel yeah. like he's got a lot of feminism in his background of things. Yeah. But uh, that being said, I think out of out of most of his films, this one is the least susceptible to that sort of interpretation because, like you said, it's it's a film about women and the women move everything forward. All the male figures are relatively impotent, and most of them end up dead as well. So, and, and it's the, both the protagonists and the antagonists are, are female and uh, Susie is the main character. And we should talk about Jessica Harper a little bit. But, uh, oh yeah. What do you, what uh, do you have on her? I don't have much on her other than that. She was perfect for this role because, uh, and this is digression, but you know, he originally wanted this film to be, in set in a girl's school, like everybody was going to be between the ages of like 10 and 12. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see that in, they didn't change the screenplay at all. So <laughs> the, the dialogue, like when she first arrives and goes into the dressing room and they have all these kind of really catty fights, yeah. uh, it's, it's very childish and it girls fits. whose name starts with S or snakes. Snake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, <laughs> it's that's, that's a hard. Totally a, something a 12 year old would one. say. Yeah, exactly. So this, and the producers are like, yeah, we're not going to let you do the things you want to do as far as killing people with a, with a cast made up of uh, preteens. No, sorry. That's fair. So, that's a very fair decision to make. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so he had to cast people who looked relatively young and he had seen Jessica Harper in uh, Phantom of the Paradise and uh, decided that she would be perfect for it. She actually turned down a role in Annie Hall. She turned down a role for Woody Allen to make this movie. Oh, wow. Which is hilarious to me every yeah. time I think about it. But yeah, so only uh, one of them is in the canon. Yeah, <laughs> that, there you go. That it was yeah. the right choice. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, and so he he wanted somebody who would start out seeming very frail and innocent and mm-hmm. and young, and kind of evolve over the course of the film to be to appear strong enough to be able to take on a cabal of witches. And I think that's a thankless job in an Italian horror film. To, to kind of make a character arc of any kind, because you've got nothing in the screenplay that's yeah. going to give you that. So the yeah, fact that that hard. actually happens is all down to Jessica Harper. And she does a, a really impressive job with that character. I think. Yeah. She's, she's perfect for it. She, she just has like, there are a lot of wonderful faces in this movie and it feels like everyone was, everyone who was cast in this movie was cast based on, just how their face would fit into the mood and vibe of whatever scenes they were supposed to be taking up. And yeah, she does a lot of, she does a lot of that performing with just, just facial expressions. And yeah, yeah, she just has like everything from 
the first time that you know when she gets in that in that cab at the beginning of the movie perfect face for it till she's wielding that weird knife thing at the end and killing which is you know perfect face for for that as well what do you how do you feel about that that final scene uh it's it goes by a little bit too quick for me but i think that's Mm -hmm. true of a lot of italian horror movies like they've spent their budget and they just like need to get through the scenes that they still have in the screenplay sort of thing. But I actually mm-hmm. really enjoy that. There's that, the, the thing that she stabs Helena Marcos with is actually a callback to his first film because that's, it's a, it's a quote crystal bird that she knocks over. Ah. So she uses uh, a bird with a crystal pl- of crystal plumage to kill Helena Marcos. I like the changes in colors there. One of the things that Tovali has said about, about the film was that they tried to use big swaths of primary colors like red and blue as like, this is normal for this world sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then corruption was supposed to sneak in with like greens and yellows. Mm. And so in that final scene, when she finally figures out the puzzle of where the witches are meeting and she opens that, secret door and goes into that hallway it's just this spill of gold you know yellow color down yeah. that hallway like to, as if to say this is the heart of the corruption this, yeah yeah i love and that then, the corruption is nothing more than just we're witches and we're we're mean to people yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep i don't like her there's no like there's no like we we run you know all of the world's governments and and stuff it's just no, we're just we're just kind of mean. Yep. Well, I mean, to be clear, most of the people that we see are middle managers in the witch hierarchy. <laughs> you know, like the the actual manager yeah. apparently sleeps a lot. And I guess we don't we don't know what they're actually up to back there. Right. Right. And I, in in a way, I think Inferno does a better job as far as making it seem like there's a world that's being quote managed by dark forces. Yeah. And this, this is a little, yeah, a little petty in there in what they do. And, and there's no real clear reason why they're doing it. I don't, I personally don't need it. I'm totally good with, with how it presents itself here. Just, Hey, there's some witches. They're up to no good. We got to kill them. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm down. I'm down with that. That that makes total sense. That checks out. I need no further information. Let's kill those witches. It's red. It's blue. It's wild. Uh, <laughs> there's blood everywhere. <laughs> there's there's hairy arms and crazy dogs and a creepy little kid who I I hate looking at every time that oh he's on the screen. <laughs> it's just yeah. Oh my god, that kid. I love and just stupid little tiny details. But that first when she goes to. The first class, I think is it her first, I think it might be her first class. Anyway, she's she's late and she's going down that hallway and there's that kid and the cook and the cook's like cleaning a knife or something and shines mm-hmm. the light into her eyes. If you watch the kid, the entire time she's fiddling with the knife and when the light flashes into her eyes, he's like got this super creepy smile on his face. And then the minute that the flash of, of light stops, it goes away. He like just goes back to that oh. blank expression. That's the only time he smiles in the whole thing. Like it's it. creepy as hell. 
I don't like that kid. I don't like that kid one bit. Nope. I think the dog should have finished the job. <laughs> creepy little, <laughs> creepy little German kid in, in, in a jacket and shorts. No, thanks. Not nope. for me. No, sir. <laughs> don't like it. Nope. Don't like it one bit. Uh, <laughs> what a movie. What, yeah. what an absolute wild ride. I'm happy I finally saw it, Bob. I'm happy that you that you've joined uh, to talk about it. I feel like you are, again, you're our resident horror expert. You're the right person for the job, the right man to kick us off for October, for Spooktober on the canon. Anything else on Suspiria before we maybe maybe go into recommendations? Any other items that that you feel like we should touch on? You know, I'm having a hard time thinking of anything. I mean, it's it's a film that is hard to talk about because it's such an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really needs to be to be watched and experienced rather than described so much. We can do all the describing that we want, and and it's still never going to prepare you for what you know. Like the Matrix, you can never be told what Suspiria is. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, definitely, if you've never seen it, get yourself out there and see it. I will say that my wife, who despite loving some some horror movies that are are pretty gory, noped mm-hmm. out of it at that first murder scene. So it That's is. Fair. Yeah, it is pretty graphic in in some spots, but the the beautiful imagery and it's odd to say beautiful about such a a, a creepy film, but it is beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. it it's definitely worth the experience. You can watch it in the morning, just like just like rafting. You can, so you can watch it in the morning. You can you can do what I did. You have your cup of coffee. You got your pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> you throw on Suspiria, all is well, and then you go on with the rest of your day. Okay, before we get into recommendations, like like we said at the towards the beginning of this episode, the horror genre seems like it lends itself to the remake way more than every other genre. Suspiria is one of those movies. There was a remake of it in the 21st century. Have you seen it? What do you think about it? How does it stack up with the original? So I'm in trouble for this because I was very much looking forward to this film. Luca Guadagnino. I'm never going to get his last Luca. name. We'll just call him Luca. Uh, yeah. You know, I I definitely was was excited to to see this, and uh, I watched the first half hour of it, and I turned it off not because it was a bad film. I feel mm-hmm. like it's probably going to be a really good experience once once I saw it, but I because my expectations were so heavy for mm-hmm. a remake of Suspiria and what Suspiria meant in my head, which was that vibe and the, the explosions of color. And it is not that film. In fact, it's a very, you know, desaturated sort of color palette. There is definitely a creepy vibe to it, uh, but it's, it's very much a different film. And I realized if I kept watching it, expecting it to be a, a more direct remake of Suspiria, that I would be doing a disservice to the film. I wanted to get enough distance mm-hmm. from it, from that expectation to be able to enjoy it on its own merits. And I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. That's, that's really responsible movie watching. I think I can take some, 
some lessons from that. I think a lot of people in our audience can take lessons from that about how to responsibly watch movies. I think that's, that's a really good lesson. It's, um, I also feel like a, a little bit like a coward for doing it, but I no, will watch not it. At all. It will be watched. Again, that is a very responsible way to approach your movie watching. You know that you're not in the right mindset to give this movie the chance that it deserves to be enjoyed the way that it can be. And you stepped away from it. And you know, when you're ready to have the right relationship with the movie, then you'll, you'll come back to it. And if you don't like it at that point, at least you gave it the right chance as opposed to like never giving it a chance at all. Right. um, And not liking it that way. I think you did the right thing. And you know, it's uh, Tilda Swinton's in it and I'll watch anything she's in. So I definitely, yeah, she, I mean, she's amazing. We, we, we stand Tilda here a hundred percent. That's official canon. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's an official canon standing point. Yep. That's in our policy. The only other things I can think of are like ridiculous little factoids. Like uh, the, the woman who runs the school, Madam Blank is Joan Bennett. She was famous as one of the matriarchs on dark shadows, the television series. Was, is she also a, uh, sorry. Was she also a frequent collaborator of uh, Fritz Lang? Was that Joan Bennett or was that Alita? Or was that someone else? The the person who play, played played uh, Miss Tanner was in some Hitchcock films. No, I think you're right. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Joan Bennett was in, in uh, a bunch of Fritz Lang's Hollywood. I did see some things where this is like playing with German expressionism from like the 30s and whatever. Yeah. But it's kind of like flipping that on its head with the insane bold uh, color palette. But I, I don't have enough information, you know, on that to, to speak about it with any like real. Well, me, me either. But I think, I do think that you're right in, in some of the, the framing and some of the way that the, Mm -hmm. the, the shots are composed uh, and they're doing things with color that they couldn't do. Yeah, you know, like in Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, they had to to do stuff with space and shapes that they could get away with just doing with lights and the absence yeah. of light in this. But I think that's a pretty interesting take on it. I like that. If only we were. Well, I won't speak for you. If only I were a bit smarter. <laughs> no, yeah, me too. We, man. We're doing we the best we can here, right? So we are doing the best we can. Well, I think all of that. Do you? Do you have any other? Uh, good factoids before I don't I, think so. I, I probably I could have, over but I don't, I don't think I have anything worth talking about. If you're still interested in Suspiria content, you can check out the uh, official canon write-up on Screen Age Wasteland, which Bob wrote. So check that out if you want to read instead of listen to us talk about Suspiria. The, we're going to get into recommendations. I unfortunately don't have the frame of reference to be recommending any German uh, expressionist films, but we do have, I have a bunch of other movies that I think I can recommend. Bob, I know you have some. So are you ready for recommendations, my friend? Let's do this. Let's do it. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? This is it. This is what we're here for. Is this not why you are here? 
Okay. We'll run through the rules one more time of recommendations. Three recs each. At least one has to be a movie. The other two recommendations can also be movies or they can be anything else. They can be books, TV shows, music, restaurants. Uh, We like to get weird with it. They have to be in some way connected to the the movie of the week. So we have to somehow tie it back to Suspiria and we can't recommend any movies that are already in the canon. So Bob, I'll let you go first. What is your first recommendation? I'm not actually sure this is if this is in the canon or not. I should get a list so I can not. I should send around a list to everyone. Yeah. But it's more fun this way. Right. Yeah. You just step into the trap. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this, this first recommendation is a film. Um, it's actually one of the key inspirations that Dario Argento had for Suspiria. It's, it may surprise people who hadn't uh, read anything about this before, but the color and the feel of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is a major inspiration for uh, the color used in Suspiria. He's, he's talked about it several times, but, and, and uh, Tovali has also talked about it. They wanted that feel, those sort of bright, primary colors and the unreality of a fairy tale. Oh, a wild inspiration for this movie. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, unfortunately not in the canon, or I guess fortunately for this recommendation, not in the canon. Um, wow. Some would say surprisingly not in yeah. the canon, but either way, a great pick. That is wild that that movie serves as a lot of inspiration for, yeah. <laughs> for Suspiria. Absolutely insane. So, Bob, I told you this before we started recording, but I have I have about seven movies that I'm going to pick from for my three recommendations. I have four that I really want to recommend. Uh, so the other three will kind of leave unless you somehow end up recommending a bunch of other things that I want to recommend. But I think for my first recommendation, I think I want to go with another movie that is about a girl who goes off to school and then a bunch of spooky stuff starts happening. It's really the only connection point between this movie and Suspiria. But for my first recommendation, I'm going to go with raw. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, the French yeah. movie from maybe like 2014. I, that movie totally blew me away. I, I didn't really know much about it going into it. I, I think it's awesome. There is some Suspiria in it but definitely worth checking out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good choice. I like that. It's been a while since I've seen that too. I should definitely go back and watch it again from this perspective. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. I get, I have to write it down because I'll forget. (laughs) Very cool. Nice recommendation. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's your next one? Okay. So yeah, I have, I have four going here too, and I'm trying to, to kind of like, do I oh, do? Man. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to, maybe we break the rules for this one for just this episode. Right. Just, just for this episode, just for this um, episode. It is coming out on October 4th, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. So celebrate four for with four. Four, four picks each, or we can just say the first three are official and then also Rand's. Yeah. Um, Let's do right. that. Cause Let's I, I want to hear what you have on your list. So yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. 
Go for All it. Right. Give us your second right. one. Okay. So my second one, knowing that I'm going to be able to do the fourth one is, uh, is actually, uh, purely based on, uh, the color, the use of color mm-hmm. in this movie. It's, uh, also a horror film and it, uh, stars our, uh, favorite guy who elevates films that he's in, uh, Nicholas Cage. Uh, and uh, that is uh, Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space from 2019. Oh. I was thinking, uh, yeah. some, I thought you were going to go with Mandy. Well, it was, yeah, that was, that was also a possibility. Uh, it's not on the list, but it was definitely uh, <laughs> a possibility because that is a psychedelic. Yeah. Definite, definitely in the same, in the same vein. But I, I went with my love for H.P. Lovecraft over, uh, over the, uh, I think Mandy works better as, as a direct relation, but, but I love color out of space. I know, uh, Stanley has had some, he's, he's, he's not, uh, a particularly nice guy. It turns out, but this was the last film I saw in the theater before, before COVID shut everything down. So I have that and I got a migraine during the movie. And having that psychedelic sort of visual experience while watching a, a movie about a psychedelic color that forces you to uh, change and and uh, become weird was was extra, just a little seasoning on top of that. Yeah. So. Okay. I have to check this movie out. I have not seen it, but I will add it to the list of Nick Cage movies that mm-hmm. I need to watch. <laughs> yeah. You, the character will be very familiar especially as he goes a little loose. Oh, I, I can't wait. I'm pumped. <laughs> I'm pumped. I love that. It's not, there are not a lot of movies in which Tommy Chong provides one of the creepiest moments, but that oh. is one. Okay. I mean, I was sold before, but now I'm, <laughs> I'm totally, I'm totally bought in. I love it. That's a great, great second pick. Okay. For my, for my second pick, since we're doing all, since we're doing all four, yeah, th- this is really my bonus pick, but I'm going to throw it in now for the second one. This is one of my, maybe not one of my favorite movies, but a movie that that I watched within the last couple of years that that really stood out to me, and I think sort of opened my eyes a lot to international film. I'm going with another Italian movie from the '70s. If anyone out there is interested in just sort of like what Italian filmmakers were thinking about. In the 1970s, I think this movie is a good example of that. I don't know outside of that how much it is a companion piece to Suspiria, but for my second pick, I'm going to go with uh, The Conformist. I don't know if you've Ooh. seen it. Bob. No, I have not. But Conformist. Uh, Immediately really, there was typing. this weird, there was this weird uh, fascination with Italian fascism yeah. in the 70s. So like, is it solo? Like I haven't seen it, but apparently that's also about sort of similar, similar things. But the conformist is like about the rise of fascism in 1930s Italy. And just like looking back on that. And it is a wonderful movie that I don't think enough people have seen. So yeah, definitely recommending that one. Adding that that's a Bernardo Bertolucci movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's definitely going on the list. Cool. What's next up for you? All right. So for my third 
you know, just sort of actual recommendation. Um, I think the, the connections are very tenuous to this movie, but it's a movie that I got the same kind of creepy vibe from, from the get go. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's also one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Probably the, the, the greatest haunted house movie of all time. And that's Robert Wise's the haunting. Oh my God. That was on my list. It's was not one it? of my four, but it, it was one of my seven. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. I, I, yeah. I was totally getting similar vibes, which is weird. Like it's, it's a different movie, but I, I think it's still like super inventive in the way yeah. that it's using different camera techniques and things like that to, oh, to yeah. spook you. Man, um, I love that. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yep. That's a great brains. Thinking of yeah. here. Yeah, it's definitely, a, if you haven't seen it, please do see it. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of, that movie is a bit of a hard sell for modern audiences, but it is, it is worth checking out. Yeah. I know. Sometimes I'll sell it as like, oh, you know, the guy who directed the sound of music directed it. Yeah. And yeah. he got really weird with it. Yeah, it did get really weird, but it's, I mean, it captures the feeling of the book extremely well too. Mm -hmm. So I, and yeah, like you said, the camera techniques, just the way you're never sure what room they're in or where they've come from. And yeah, it's fantastic. Also, I think the haunting of Hill house is based on the same house that is haunting the folks in the haunting. So if you're a fan of that TV series, you know, yeah. worth checking out this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was also like a weird remake in 2000 or 1999 with Owen Wilson. Yep. And Liam Neeson. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, and Catherine Zeta Jones. Actually, <laughs> It's not a, it's uh, not a good, no. Yeah. I mean, it's not house of wax remake bad, but it's, it's bad. <laughs> Whoever was the, the, the casting director for that one was just all over the place, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Owen Wilson, man. What a time. Okay. <laughs> for my for my I'm back to my real recommendations yes. now. Yep. So my third recommendation, I'm going with another international horror movie that is sort of like the sort of like the haunting and like Suspiria very stylized. There is a decent amount of color that's popping in it. It is way more psychedelic than, than Suspiria, but it's amazing. It's a cult classic. I'm not surprised that it's not in the canon, but a little piece of me was like hoping that I would find it in the list of movies in the canon. <laughs> uh, my third recommendation is house or house if you will. Yes. Oh my God. That's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers I love that movie. movie. So, so crazy. Fun. Yeah. Uh, so crazy. Dismembered hands playing piano. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, it, it's wild. And dismembered heads biting people on the ass. Yeah. <laughs> bananas, Amazing. bananas, bananas. Absolutely uh, outrageous Japanese psychedelic horror movie from the 70s. Also about a haunted house. So worth checking out. So much fun. Not like, not that scary. So if anyone out no. there is like easily spooked, this is definitely a movie to check out. Yep. 
that's that's definitely a movie when when you're it's over you say what the hell did i just watch yeah <laughs> it's a movie to watch with friends yes yeah that's a and that's a, a communal movie you got to get through the first like 40 minutes which almost feels like a sort of sappy teen romance movie build up i don't know yeah. even they even have like the soft focus rising yeah. music things yeah oh but it's so so good it's amazing i love that you recommended that that's so cool what's your final pick all right my my fourth pick is just it it's a little bit of a throwaway but i just kind of wanted because i used to dismiss this movie quite a bit and it's the direct sequel to uh, suspiria in the sense of it being a spiritual continuation of the same world. And that's Inferno, which was released in 1980. It follows the same sort of world with uh, the three mothers. And this is a story about uh, Mater Tenebrarum. And it's got everything that you love about uh, Dario Argento films. If you love Argento films, it's beautiful to look at. It's incoherent in its plot. Uh, the kills are stylish and they have great set pieces and it's got a crazy soundtrack by Keith Emerson, actually, instead of uh, goblin this time. And it's not as good as Suspiria, but nothing in, in Argento's canon is as good as Suspiria, but it's still well worth a, a watch. If you like some of those, some of those same notes, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not on the same album, but it's by the same artist, sort of thing. Yeah. I got to add that to my list. I think that's, it's, that's going to be one that I'm going to, I'm going to check out. It's on Tubi as well. So love Tubi. Yeah. Thank you, Tubi. If you want to sponsor us, we're <laughs> open. <laughs> yeah. Thumbs up. Hell yeah. All right. So my fourth pick. Duke is going to be so mad when he finds out that we did four, four picks for this uh, round of recommendations. He's yeah. Duke is going to be furious, right? He's been, he, he got put in the doghouse for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's spooky season. We're, we're breaking the rules because it's weird already. Yeah. It, just for today, four for four, October mm-hmm. 4th, we're doing four recommendations. That that's the only reason. Um, okay. So my last recommendation is a, another movie about an American girl who goes to Europe and spooky stuff starts happening. I don't know how many movies there are that would fall into this bucket, but the movie (laughs) that I'm recommending for this is Ari Aster's Midsummer or Midsummer, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) Yep. That was on my list. There's not much connecting the two in terms of vibes, but at their core, they're stories about American girls who go to Europe and experience spooky stuff. So I thought that was enough to to recommend. I think that's great. Bob, that was great. That was a really fun round of recommendations. Let's run through them one more time and then we'll say our final goodbyes and, and be on our merry ways. All right. Sounds good. So my first recommendation uh, was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, uh, an inspiration for Suspiria. My second was H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space for uh, the use of color and just weirdness. My third and final uh, real recommendation 
is the is Robert Wise's The Haunting um, for that spooky vibe. And lastly was Inferno uh, from 1980, another Dario Argento film and a continuation of the same mythology. Sweet, wonderful, fantastic, amazing. My three recommendations plus one. My first one is Raw. Uh, I'm forgetting the director's name, but great newish French director about a girl who goes to school and some weird stuff starts happening. <laughs> My second recommendation is House. I'm also forgetting that director's name. Amazing Japanese 70s psychedelic horror movie about a haunted house. My third recommendation is Midsummer. I do know that director's name. It's Ari Aster or Ari Aster. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another story about an American girl who goes to Europe and experiences some, some scary stuff. My bonus recommendation is the conformist another great 70s italian movie if you are interested in that bob thank you again for joining for this episode oh thank this you, was man. this was a ton of fun i'm happy that we're kicking off october with our resident spooky expert bob where can people find your book where can they buy it where can they support you oh uh, i'm on amazon where everybody goes <laughs> Yeah, you can find it's it's called uh, Thirty One Days, Thirty One Horror Movies, and it's just a, a random collection of movies, just the right amount for a October's worth of viewing horror movies. Perfect. So yeah, while you're there, while you're on Amazon uh, buying toiletries because you don't want to go to the store, <laughs> pick up a copy of Bob's book, read it this October, watch some horror movies. Again, all this month. Uh, here on the canon we're going to be celebrating spooktober we're going to be doing some of the best horror movies of all time we've got a great lineup coming for you the rest of october it's very exciting stuff we will see you next week until then stay safe and and stay out of german ballet dance schools always good advice bye all